Well, if you guys have your Bibles, and I hope you do, go ahead and open them up to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, it's in the New Testament. And by the way, if you do not have a Bible or do not have an English standard version, that's just the English version that we use here um, that are in those black pew Bibles sitting around the room, uh, feel free to take one of those home with you. Put your name in it, mark it up, that is yours. Uh, It is our gift to you as a church and we are happy uh, to give you one of those. Now, as you guys are turning there, last week we began a new sermon series in which we entitled... Uh, the church, the church, of uh, basically walking through six characteristics that we have as a church, that when you walk through these doors or wherever we're meeting as a church, what can you expect to find on a Sunday morning? Or when we are gathering as God's people, what can you expect to see and do as a people of God? And that's what we want to walk through through this series through the series. Now, last week, I started with, I believe, one of the most important characteristics that we have as a church, and that is that we are driven by the Bible, that we believe that the Bible is the Word of God. And that's why we call ourselves a Bible church, is because we want to be so anchored to what the, this Word says, these 66 books that make up the canon of the New and Old Testament, what does God have to say? Because if God has spoken, if God has said something, then we should probably pay attention, shouldn't we? And if we actually believe that God wrote this, right, even though it was written, it was written by man, but these men who wrote the Bible were carried along by the Holy Spirit so that everything that they wrote was inspired, inerrant, inerrant, authoritative, and good for us, then we want to take special note. Well, what does God say about the church? What does God say about what the church does when it comes together? And so last week I began just stating that that's our, our foundation as a church, is the Bible is our foundation, that we are driven by the Bible. It's the bedrock to all of what we will say and all of what we will do. Now this week, this week, week two, is preaching, right? And it's a little bit fun to preach on preaching, just to get that out, is I don't know what's going to happen. I love preaching. It's a joy of mine as and. and and I don't know what will happen when you preach about preaching. But I'm, I'm thankful that God has determined, he's determined through his word that preaching will have a central component in the life of the church. Because you are proclaiming something of what God has said. So when a church comes together on Sundays, at least for us, right? That's when we predominantly get together as a church for corporate worship for a corporate gathering is we must do one of the central components of what God has told the church to do and that is to preach the word preach the word of God and why do we do that well because God has written something because God has a story there's a story of what he wants to communicate about himself what he wants to communicate what he has done and what he wants to communicate of how we even though we're men and women who have fallen short Right? We have fallen short to God's perfection. Yet, God is still doing something in the midst of us. And he's still using broken sinners like you and I to still carry along his message of redemption, his gospel, his good news. And he has given the medium to do that through preaching, preaching the word. It's a medium we did not invent. 
I did not invent preaching. It's something that God has laid out as holy and set apart for his church to partake in. And so in our time today, what I want to do from working from that 2 Timothy passage, which will be in chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, but mostly mostly verse 2, is there's three things that I want to point out. And they all start with the letter M. So I'm a little bit Baptist today, more than I usually am. And that is, we have the mandate to preach. The mandate to preach the Word of God. We have a message to preach in the Word of God. And lastly, I want to show you the miracle that comes from the preaching of the Word of God. And I'll show you all of that in the Word of God itself. Let's go ahead and let's stop there one more time. Let me just pray. I'm going to pray for you. And I'd ask that as I'm doing that, you guys would pray for me. And then we'll dive into the Word together. Well, Father, I want to come to you once again in prayer because we as a people are wholly dependent upon you to move this morning. That we are wholly dependent for you to reveal yourself and your word. And so, God, I pray for every man and woman in this room that you would just allow them to see you clearly this morning. See clearly just all the great things that come from a medium like preaching. God, I pray for our kids this morning and our teachers back there that as they're walking through, um, you know, their, their, their Bible lesson, that they would be able to see the grace of God, just like we will attempt to see this morning as well. But God, I pray for each person here. Please, illumine their hearts, illumine their minds to be able to walk out of here singing your grace. And we pray that in your mighty name. Amen. All right, amen. Okay, so if you don't... Uh, if you haven't got there yet, 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 1. 1. It should be up on the screen as well. And I'm going to read through verse 4. But it says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Church, that is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Okay, so what what are we looking at here? We're kind of jumping into the middle of a letter. So Paul who is the author of this letter to a young man named Timothy. This is the second letter, right? Second Timothy. He's writing to this young pastor named Timothy about some central components to his ministry. And we even looked at this letter a little bit last week, didn't we? That at the end of chapter three, Paul was exhorting Timothy, Timothy, do not abandon the Bible when you come together as a church. Do not abandon the word of God because it has all been breathed out by God. And the scriptures can make you wise for salvation. The scriptures can point you to Christ. So don't fall into the fallacy that you have to move beyond the Bible in order to teach people about who God is. But then, starting in chapter 4, it seems like Paul gets very specific with Timothy, doesn't he? Look at it. Look at verse 1. What does he say? He says, I charge you. So Paul, talking to Timothy, I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's to judge the living and the dead. Right? So it's even, he's even, he doesn't say this anywhere else in the letter, by the way. 
right? He is drawing Timothy's attention saying, Timothy, what I'm about to say to you is of utmost importance. It has a reverence to it that I want you to, to hear from my words and I'm charging you to do something. Now think about this for a second with me. Out of all the things that Paul could have said that he wants to charge Timothy with before he leaves. And by the way, um, these are really kind of the last words that Paul will ever write. Because soon after Paul pens this letter to Timothy, Paul is beheaded for his faith. So some of the last words that Paul will ever write, some of the last instruction that he will ever give another pastor, right? And we can think of all the great things that maybe Paul wanted to charge Timothy with so he wouldn't tank his ministry or tank the church or defile what God has called him to. Think of all the ways that churches have been hurt, congregations have been split, pastors have been uh, taken down. You think of maybe some kind of moral scandal, financial scandal, right? Just uh, church culture, argumentation, divisiveness. Of all those things that you guys have read, maybe in the headlines, just in the last six months, of what pastors can fall into and completely ruin what they're attempting to do when they stand up and talk to their congregations. Paul doesn't say, hey, make sure you are wise with your money. Make sure you're protecting your marriage. Make sure that you are honest with your people and honest with your other elders, even though we would say those are all really good things that every pastor should aspire to and every church should hold their pastor accountable to. What Paul says in these last words is what? In verse 2. Preach the word. Preach the word. Why that? Why that? You see, because preaching, preaching is a gift. Preaching is a gift that when someone is called to the ministry of pastoring and shepherding a church, they usually it's accompanied by a gift of teaching, a gift of preaching in some regards, especially someone who's going to be standing in the pulpit week in and week out. And so the greatest thing that that person can do is herald the good news to his congregation, to herald the good news to his church. And also, what are the benefits for the church? That they are able to receive the word of God every single Sunday when they come in. That they are able to sit under that preached word. That they are going to be able to see all the benefits of being under that. Which I'll, I'll talk about uh, throughout the sermon. But what is preaching then? What is preaching? We have to ask that question. Because even though, you know, it's, it's a word that we're familiar with on some levels... We can tend to, uh, I think, water it down in some regards. Because preaching is not like a spiritual TED talk, okay? It's not a lecture. Preaching is proclaiming. Preaching, in the biblical sense, is heralding the good news. It is proclaiming what God has done. Even, and we know that preaching is altogether different because when God sent Jesus to earth, right, to, to indwell a human body. What was one of the first things that we see Jesus doing? Preaching, preaching. Even the Gospel of Mark, that, that book that we just finished at the church, we see multiple times where Jesus says, hey, I have to leave this city and go to another city to do what? To preach, to preach. Many of the most famous sayings of Jesus that you're probably aware of 
have come from sermons that Jesus gave. Think of like the Sermon on the Mount. And so preaching is altogether different. Preaching is not something that we have invented. Preaching is God's good design to herald and to proclaim who he is to a dying world. To a dying world. Even when Jesus sent out the disciples to go and start the church, what did they do? They went and started preaching. Even though there's a lot of good things you can do, right? You can hold studies, study the Bible together. You can pray together. Good things that you should do. And I'm going to talk about that. You guys can see on the poster over there. Those are things that I actually will talk about that a church should be doing when it comes together. But preaching seemed to be at the foremost of their minds because preaching is one of the best ways to declare what you believe about God, to declare what you believe about the Bible. In the book of Acts alone, right, that book about how the early church started, 16 explicit times it says that the apostles went out and preached. They preached the word. They preached the word. See, they were preaching what? The good news. They were heralding the good news that Jesus had come, that Jesus had lived a life that nobody could live in perfection. But yet, what did Jesus do with that life? He went to the cross with it as a substitute to die a sinner's death, even though he had no sin in of himself. He went to the cross to die in substitution, in replacement for who? People like us, church, who are guilty of sin. But yet, even though Jesus went to the cross and even though he died a sinner's death, what happened three days after he rose? He conquered Satan, sin, and death, ascended back to his throne where he is currently sitting and ruling at the Father's right hand. You see, the, the apostles, the early church, had a message to be preached. And so they went about doing that. I could point you to even, how does the Bible even begin? Think of the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. What's one of the first things that we learn about God in the opening lines of the book of Genesis? We learn that God speaks, don't we? That God speaks things into creation. And so what I'm trying to say, church, is that preaching holds a central component into how God works. Is that whenever we see God on the move, whenever we see God changing things for his glory and our good, what's accompanying that? The preaching of his word. The preaching of his word. There's even one point where Paul, and I love this because I, I can identify a little bit. When he starts talking about preaching, you get a little bit riled up. And he, and he says this in Romans 10. Romans 10, let me show you this. It should be on the screen. He says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You see, Paul loved preaching because God loves preaching. And see, every Christian, what you do as you grow in your faith is you tend to start loving what God loves. And you see that the very mediums in which he has given for people to grow in their understanding of who he is, you start to enjoy those things, right? You think of what are some of those other mediums of such as praying or studying or singing together? Those might have seemed foreign at the beginning, but as you walked with Christ, those things became like, no, God really does use those things to grow in my faith. 
And so Paul says, preach, because God says, preach. You know, there's a common misnomer out there, and it's been passed around from church to church and from different times and different histories, that it's a quote that no one really quite knows where it came from, but it says, you know, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. Now, here's the problem. Romans 10. Paul says, use words. How are they supposed to believe if someone is not preaching? Now, I'm all for exemplifying the, the work of the gospel in your life through your actions. But if someone needs to know that they are a sinner, but Jesus is a savior, they're not going to get that from you holding the door for them. Even though you should. But as you befriend and as you talk and you identify areas in their life where they don't know Christ, they don't know what he's done, what do you need to do? You need to tell them. You need to tell them. Use your words. It doesn't mean that you're going to sit down and say, hey, let me preach to you for 35 minutes. But you need to proclaim the good news to them. Preaching doesn't necessarily mean just from a pulpit like this, but it means to herald what God has done. So preaching has enormous value in the church gathering. So we, we have to rightly understand it. And by the way, preaching is not... It's not just teaching either. Now, I don't think preaching is less than teaching, but I think it's more than teaching. I think it's more than teaching. Because when you herald a gospel, a good news, like Jesus has come and lived and died and resurrected, it should do something to you that goes beyond just a homiletical lecture. right? It should go beyond just a, hey, these are the facts. Study the facts, know the facts. But when you preach... You're allowing something to come out of you that is so pulsing through your veins that you have to get it out. There's a, a quote I'm going to share to you from a, from a London preacher. It's not Spurgeon, though. It's not Spurgeon. It's from a, a, a similar man as far as his effect on the church, but he preached later in the 20th century, just died a, a couple decades ago, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. This is what he has to say about preaching, and I love this. Watch, look at this, guys. He says, preaching is theology coming through a man who is on fire. A true understanding and experience of the truth must lead to this. I say again that a man who can speak about these things dispassionately has no right whatsoever to be in the pulpit and should never be allowed to enter one. Now, those are strong words. Right, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones is a, a pretty intense guy if you ever go back and listen to him. But what he is saying there is that when you, because he's instructing preachers, by the way, when he's, when he's talking about this, he's saying when you get into the pulpit, it should be like all the theology, everything in which you've studied, everything in which is, you've learned about God, it's pulsing through your veins, it's going to just come out like it's on fire, like you have to get it out. And Martin Lloyd-Jones, I think, understood exactly what Paul is saying in 2 Timothy 4. And it's a mandate of the church. It's a mandate of a pastor. That what you need to do, you need to preach the word. You need to herald the word. Every single time you get in there. And that, by the way, that's what, that's what we're going to commit to as a church. That we are going to commit to as a church, as Carson Valley Bible Church, to be a church that preaches the word every single Sunday, week in and week out. It is that mandate, right? That mandate to preach the word. All right, but it's not just a mandate in and of itself. 
It's a mandate to do what? To preach the word. Not just preach on whatever you feel like preaching on, preaching whatever, you know, feels good to you at the moment or what the people want to hear, but to preach a certain message, a certain message. That's point number two. We preach a message. So at this church, I think the best way for us to do that is to simply preach through the Bible through the Bible. It's called, you guys heard me use this term over and over again, expository preaching, which means that you simply walk through books of the Bible as a church. You walk through them line by line, right? Chapter by chapter, verse by verse, so you can have the whole counsel of the Word of God. Because we learned last week, all of the Bible has been breathed out by God. So shouldn't we be walking through all of it together? And the best way, I think, to do that is simply to pick a book, and start walking through it line by line, line by line. It's one of the best ways for you to grow in your faith, for you to understand the context of what, what God is doing, to understand the whole story of who God is and what he's done. Now, I, 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 I get the irony a little bit because I'm not doing that this Sunday. But even when we do take a topical series like the church, we're going to do so in an expositional way. It means that we are going to let the Bible speak for itself. Right? I'm not going to come up here with a topic and say, this is what I believe, and then maybe I'll pull a few verses here and there that have something to do with the topic or not and use them to justify my position. Because you could do that. People have done that. It's pretty easy to take something out of context and twist it to your own means. And we want to avoid that danger as much as possible, and so we think the regular diet of the preaching at this church will be expositional, walking through books of the Bible. And I think that keeps me accountable to the Word of God. I think it keeps you accountable to the Word of God. But it also keeps us from not just talking about whatever we feel is best to talk about. Because when you walk through books of the Bible, and I'm sure for many of you who have done this in the past, you realize that there's things that you never knew were in here until you start walking through it line by line. There are things in here that you don't agree with and you would never know unless you walk through it line by line. And that's God's good gift to us as a church is to know the whole counsel of his word. So we are going to preach the word and allow what it says in, in, in chapter 4 to reprove, to rebuke, and to exhort us. We're going to let the word of God do that. We're going to let the preacher through the word of God be a means of that. Be a means of that. But we're also not going to just, when we preach through a book of the Bible, you also have to do it within the context of all of the Bible. As I mentioned, you know, when you walk through, and you guys have been here on a, on a Sunday where we're walking through just a book of the Bible, uh, it will be very common, and rightly so, that, you know, preacher, whether it's myself or one of the other pastors, that is explaining some of the historical context that the book is in, maybe some of the grammatical context of that book, especially if it's a different genre than we're used to, like poetry or history. And we need to point out those things so we can rightly understand what we're reading. But also, I have to tell you guys how that book or that passage tells you or points you to Christ, to point you to Jesus. Because although preaching has teaching components, as mentioned, it's not merely teaching. I'm not called to be an audible Bible commentary on Sunday mornings. I will give commentary. 
and point you to some of those things. But what I need to do as a preacher is to show you how that passage points you to Christ. Because what is the Bible all about? It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. Jesus says this himself in John chapter 5, verse 39. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they, the Bible, that bear witness about me. So if Jesus is saying that all of the Bible is about him, all of the Bible is pointing to him, then it's a job as someone who's going to proclaim the word of God to point you to its ultimate conclusion. And that is to point you to who Jesus is and what he's done. Now there's there's different ways that a, a preacher can do this, such as if we're in the Old Testament, right, before, before Jesus comes on the scene, maybe one of the ways that the Old Testament will teach us about Jesus is by prefiguring the work of Christ or telling you about why that work of Christ is necessary, maybe even preparing for the work of Christ, work of Christ. Have you guys ever read the book of Leviticus? Yes, I thought it's hard. It's hard. You know why? There's a whole lot of words in there about death and sacrifice. It's like over and over again. Now do this to this sacrifice or do this for this offering. Right? It's a whole lot of God's people using sacrifices to hopefully get right with him. To hopefully earn some appeasement from him. And why is the book of Leviticus in there? Right? What, is that, what, what bearing does that have for us today as believers? Well, it's pointing us to the work or the, and the preparation that was needed. Because if we see in Leviticus, oh, it seems like God can get right with his people through a sacrifice, then how does that pertain to Jesus? Well, it's, Jesus knew that. He knew that. That's why he became the last and final sacrifice. Because he knew that no matter how much sacrifice we made, sin would keep pouring out of our hearts. And so more sacrifices would be needed. So Jesus came to be the last and perfect sacrifice to fully satisfy the wrath of God, to fully appease his wrath. So now we could live under his grace, under his mercy, under what he has done. So even when we preach the Old Testament church, we're all going to be pointing ourselves to Christ. Or in the New Testament, like what we're seeing here in 2 Timothy, we're going to preach it because it's in light of what Christ has done. It's in light of who he is. It's in light of his love for his church. And we want to just follow him with all of our hearts, with all of our minds, with all of our soul, all of our strength. By the way, this is the same approach that uh, Paul had. In another letter, 1 Corinthians, he talked about his philosophy of preaching. Philosophy of preaching. Let me read this to you. This comes from 1 Corinthians. He says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, let me go ahead and stop there for a moment. So when Paul rolled up, into the city of Corinth, and he's preaching to them. He, he tells them, hey, I'm specifically, my goal in teaching you, my goal in preaching to you is not to act or be like a Greek homiletician, to use fancy words, fancy rhetoric to try to get you to be so impressed by my speaking abilities that you'll believe what I say. It's like, that's not my goal. 
I'm not going to come with lofty speech or wisdom. But what I am going to do, it says at the end of verse 2, is I'm going to teach you Jesus Christ and him crucified. I'm going to teach you him because that's what matters. That's what matters. Not how I say it or my illustrations that I do it, but the most important thing is if I tell you about Jesus. So Paul, see, because Paul, it's not saying that he's only going to talk about the cross. Paul talks about all kinds of things, but he always relates it to the cross. He always relates it to Christ. And that's what we are committing to as a church. When we come together and we listen under the preached word of God, we are going to hope and count on it pointing us to Christ and nowhere else, ultimately. And I, I mean, obviously, I take great hope in that. Okay, so Paul just said, you don't have to have great, eloquent speech, you know, speaking abilities to be able to be a preacher. Thank God for that, right? It's about Jesus. It's about what he has done and why that's needed. And so church, hear me on this. The greatest thing that I could do or anybody who steps into this pulpit on Sunday is to tell you about Christ, to tell you about what he has done, to take whatever book we find ourselves in and take you to the ultimate conclusion is how does this get me to Christ? How does this get me to my savior? How does this remind me of my love or my need for him? Every single book, every single line of the Bible will get you there, will get you there. And some people, by the way, do not like that. Do not like that. And here's what I mean by that. Because you know, we've had people leave the church over that very idea saying that, yeah, we get the gospel. We get what Jesus has done. Can't we move on to more, better, interesting things? Can we just get beyond the gospel at this point? And I'm always baffled by that because one is, I don't know of anything better than talk about than Christ, to Christ. And I don't know about, you know, their heart, but I know my own heart. And my own heart needs to be reminded week in and week out of who Jesus is and what he has done. Or to know that he is a God that can be trusted. And he has proven that by going to the cross and dying for my sins. And I would say, and hear me on this from just a pastoral tone. If you think that you're ready to move beyond the gospel, then you probably don't understand it in the first place. And I would encourage you to go back and rethink, why did Jesus come? Why did he die? Why does that matter? Tim Keller, he's a pastor in New York City, one of the smartest Christians on the planet. I was just talking to someone the other day about one of his books. And sometimes they can be hard to read uh, because he's brilliant. He's brilliant. But he always is driven by the gospel in his own preaching, his own teaching whether he's preaching or writing books. He always brings it back to that. And someone asked him at one point, hey, are you ever going to get beyond the gospel? And this is what he says. I think I have a quote on this. Do I, no, I don't know if I have a quote on a screen. But let me read this to you. This is from Tim Keller. He says, we never get beyond the gospel in our Christian life to something more advanced. He says, the gospel is not the first step in a stairway of truth. Rather, it is like the hub of wheel in or the hub and a wheel of truth, that the gospel is not the ABCs, but the A to Z of Christianity. The gospel is not just the minimum required doctrine necessary to enter the kingdom of God, but the way we progress in the kingdom of God. See what, see what Tim Keller is saying there? He's saying, listen, everything in which you do as a Christian 
flows from the gospel, flows from who Jesus is and what he's done. It flows from his good news. So that's the message that we have to preach. We have a mandate to preach, but we also have the message that we have to preach. And that is one of Jesus Christ and his gospel. So we have a gospel to be heralded. We have a mandate. But we also, I want, and really quickly, I want to show you guys the miracle that can come through preaching. The miracle that can come through preaching. In the Old Testament, there's a book called Ezekiel. It's about um, a prophet named Ezekiel who has been called by God to prophesy and to basically proclaim who God is um, in different areas and what he's calling his people to do. And there's this one particular, rather famous portion of Ezekiel where God talks to Ezekiel and gives him a vision. It's called the vision of the dry bones in Ezekiel 37. Now, you don't have to turn there. I'll be on the screen. But let me just read to you this, this vision of which Ezekiel gets from God. Is it up there? Yeah. Okay. It says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones, and he led around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord to keep Lord to these bones. Behold, I will cause you breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin. And put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. You see, church, what the vision that Ezekiel had is the miracle of preaching. As he's standing over this valley of dry bones, and God says, preach to them preach to them Ezekiel and he starts doing this like I don't know what this is going to do he preaches to them and all of a sudden these bones start to come to life right and by the end of it they are fully alive with the breath of God himself and why is that important because that is all of us right that we in and of ourselves are incapable of coming to life right to taking our 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 dead to sin selves and making us alive to God But God has used the medium of preaching to allow those dead bones to start to rattle, right? To allow the skin to come together, to all of a sudden start to feel like you're alive again. And you're alive with something that has been given to you, and that is the power of God. Uh, Jesus himself, he he had a different illustration, but the same idea in John 10. And, And he basically says, he says, my sheep will hear my voice my sheep will hear my voice and they will come to me when I lead them out he says you can see this in John 10 looking at verse 3 at the end of that it says to him the gatekeeper opens the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name 
and he leads them out. So just like Ezekiel, Jesus is saying that when the word of God is preached, when you speak Jesus' words, you might be able to start to hear the shepherd's voice. And you will be changed by the shepherd's voice. That's what it means to be awakened to the word of God. And I think many of you guys have probably have experienced this in your life. Where you have maybe have been in church for, for years. Or may, maybe you're new but you've heard of the Bible. Maybe you've had time to read it. Maybe you haven't. But all of a sudden one Sunday it seemed like the preaching of God's word was falling on you differently than it ever had. Right? That all of a sudden maybe you felt like this... Does he know what's going on in my life? Like, did somebody tell him about my prayer requests that I shared? That I didn't share with anybody else, but somehow he knew about it. Right? I, this is my experience. When I was 19 years old, all of a sudden, I, you know, I had gone to church. Um, my mom can attest, most of the times I was asleep during the preaching of God's word. But when I was 19 years old, all of a sudden, when someone was heralding the gospel of Jesus Christ, it seemed like he was talking to me. I don't know this guy. How does he know what I'm struggling with? How does he know my insecurities? How does he know my doubts about God? And I felt like for the first time, I was being awakened to the word of God. That the word of God was not just, just you know, words on a page, but they seemed to be the voice of God yelling out to me, arise, wake up. It's what Jesus said here in John 10. I think for the first time I was starting to hear the words of the shepherd. I was starting to hear and it was a miracle. Right? It was a miracle. Because the only way that that could have happened is if God was doing something. If God was moving. So we must preach. We must preach. So that every single person that walks through these doors, wherever they find themselves, can hear the words of their shepherd can allow their dead-to-sin selves maybe start to be made alive again that very day. If they can see who God is, they can see themselves. Now those are the, the texts that I think you know, speak to more of that generation, those big-time miracles that come through preaching. Like when someone comes from death to life, that's a miracle. It's a miracle. We're thankful that God uses preaching to do that. But there's also a miracle, church, that I think does happen for every Christian that comes into a church service and hears the preached word of God. And know what that is? Is they hear the miracle that Jesus is better every single Sunday. They hear that Jesus is better because we need to know that Jesus is better. And especially true, I think, for maybe people who are younger in the room. Younger in the room. Because when you you have maybe, and by God's grace, have many years in front of you that you are going to be confronted in times in your life, seasons of your life, where it's tempting to see, is Jesus better? Is he better than this that the world has to offer? Is he better than success? Right? Is he better than my family? Is he better than my health? All of those things that maybe we desire and, and can be good things, but they're not better than Jesus because those things can be lost but he could still remain. And so I think we need to be reminded of that. That Jesus is better than our, our health, our prosperity. He's also better than our addictions. He's better than our failures. He's better than all the way the world tells us to get our identity from. 
all the ways that we are constantly told, this is how you know if you're making it. This is how you know if you're right with yourself. Because it's not your job. That could be taken away. It's not your sex life. It's not your gender. Your identity, Christian, comes from the creator of all things, from the creator of the universe. And that's why when we open up the Bible and we walk through a verse, right, just through, through one of the books of the Bible, what you are going to hear over and over again is that because that points to Jesus, it also points that Jesus is better. He's better than anything else that this world has to offer. Because anything that is written in the Bible, as far as instruction goes, is there because we as humans need to be reminded of our frailties. That the things that are written to Timothy or the things that are written to the, the Corinthian church are there because humanity struggles with it. And so we need to be reminded that Jesus is better. He's better than no matter what you think could possibly give you what you want right now. Jesus is better than that. He's better than that. So your identity, I think, is a little miracle that can be solidified every single time that you sit in these pews and you hear the preached word over you that Jesus is better. He's better. And it's that regular diet. Regular diet of just being under the preached word of God is so important. It's so important to you. Now, you might not remember a lot of sermons. That's okay. It's like you don't remember a whole lot of meals that you've eaten. There are some that are, are memorable, right? There's some, some sermons or some meals that you can look back and say, that was a game changer for me. But your health comes from just a regular diet, right? A regular time of being fed. So just like nutritionally, like your own physical body, same with your spiritual soul. You need to be constantly under the preached word because it feeds your soul. It gives you the very things that you need and the very things that you need to be reminded about, such as Jesus is better than anything else. And so as your pastor, as one of your pastors, I'm going to preach that Jesus is better. I'm committing to that in front of you, that he is worth it, that he is glorious, that he is in control, that he is unmovable, that he is unchangeable, that he holds the whole world together. And I'm going to tell you that every single Sunday because you might have been walking through these doors thinking, I don't know if Jesus has this part of my life under control. I don't know if this is too far outside the bounds of what God can do. And I'm going to tell you, no, no. Everything is under his control. And he is a good, good, good God. And the reason we know that is because he went to the cross for us and died for us and has loved us. And so I'm committing to doing that. So no matter how we find ourselves, let's constantly be under the preached word of God. Maybe, and maybe you're new to this, this, this idea, or maybe you're new to this understanding of preaching. I would say commit. Commit to being under the preached word of God week in and week out and see what God does in your life. See what he does. And so whenever we come in here, whenever we come in here, we know, and I think this is God's good gift, we know that there's a mandate to preach. We know that there's a message to be preached. And we also know the miracles that come from preaching. And to that end, we as a church are committed to the preaching of God's word. What a gift that is. What a gift that is. All right, let's go ahead and let's, let's end. Let's pray. That's all I got, guys. <laughs>